welcome to Boston Confidential, Bean Town's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail in Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. I wanted to thank everybody for their emails. I'm still getting a ton of emails on the Teresa Corley case out of Bellingham, Massachusetts. And a lot of people are asking me about why I was so aggressive with the police during this investigation when it was so very long ago. And again, I have to tell you, my comments stand. They stand on their own. They're backed up by facts. That was one of the worst investigations I've ever seen. So I won't be coming off that anytime soon. But I do love to hear from everybody. If you want to get a hold of me, my email is barry at bostonconfidential.net. Feel free to email me on anything, and I'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. But for today, I have one of the strangest stories I've ever come across, and it's one of those things you can't believe you never heard about it. And this is the case of the Falmouth Fox, Melvin Rainey, out of Falmouth, Massachusetts. Melvin Rainey was a suspect in at least three murders stretching from the 70s all the way up through 80s and 90s. It's a crazy case, guys. And I really can't believe it. I stumbled across this case because I was reviewing the work of Michelle McPhee. Michelle's a friend of the show. She was actually my first interview on Boston Confidential. But she's a great true crime writer. She started out as a reporter from the New York Post, but she's originally from East Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm from South Boston, so we're right across the harbor from each other. I strongly suggest you pick up this book. Michelle writes in a fashion I'm very fond of. She writes so effortlessly, and the facts really flow well. And I've said before, her books read like a novel, and by the time you're halfway through her books, you would wish it was, because it's horrible, the stuff she investigates. And this is probably, besides the Boston bombing case where she wrote the book Mayhem, This is the most intricate and crazy case I've ever seen. And honestly, I'm kind of mad at myself for not knowing about it because I'm a true crime aficionado, obviously. And I go down to the Cape all the time. Several times in the summer, my wife's family has a a house down there. They're in Dennisport and found it's a little further north. But this guy, Melvin Rainey, there could be three murders attributed to him several arsons. He threatens people. He burned a police chief's car. And the police in Falmouth were extremely frightened of this guy. And he ended up shooting a Falmouth police officer. Not only that, he shot him while he was on the way to work with a shotgun in the face. And he was never arrested. When I say he was never arrested, he was never even interviewed. Can you believe that? All right, so Falmouth, Massachusetts is on Cape Cod, and if you think of Cape Cod as a bended arm, 
I guess you'd say Falmouth is the tricep, or at least in the tricep area. It's one of the first towns in Cape Cod, and I think it's bordered by Bourne, Sandwich, and Mashpee. And it's an absolutely stunning town. Miles of beachfront, quintessential Cape Cod. It's literally a picture postcard town. Tourism is their number one industry, obviously, and there's ferries there to Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. There's a host of great restaurants and nightlife, and it's a beautiful summer town. The population now is about, I don't know, 30, 35,000, and that definitely probably doubles or even more than that in the summertime. But back in the time frame we're talking about, the 70s, 80s era, it was probably the population of about 23,000 full-time residents. Again, it's a summer town, so that would increase, but... It's a beautiful place. All right, to tell Melvin Rainey's story, we have to go back to the 1960s. In the 1960s in Falmouth, Rainey was known as the local arsonist, and he conducted a string, and I mean a string of multiple arsons. One was a police officer's business. It was empty at the time. Some were homes, and his catchphrase around town is if somebody gave Melvin, a hard time, his catchphrase would be, I smell smoke. Do you smell smoke? So that was the threat. If you gave him a hard time, he was going to burn down your house, your car, something like that. And eventually, the law did catch up with him. And in 1968, he went away to Walpole State Prison. For this string of homicides, though, he should have received much more time. He was sentenced to six to eight years. But the prosecutors, I heard, they didn't charge him with all these arsons because they couldn't directly tie all of them to Melvin Rainey. But in 1968, Melvin Rainey goes away to Walpole State Prison, and Walpole State Prison at the time was a maximum security prison, and it was really a hellscape. A lot of riots, stabbings, sexual assaults, not the place you'd want to go. Eventually, his classification was lowered, so he was sent to like a prison farm, and he only ended up doing about 18 months because he demonstrated in Walpole and these other institutions he wasn't a super violent person. Now, this guy was about five foot eight, 160 pounds soaking wet, so he wasn't physically intimidating. But again, when somebody says, I'm going to burn your house down, it's pretty intimidating. And then you see him being arrested for these crimes. He's an arsonist. He'll do it. He'll follow through. Okay, so before Melvin went away to prison and during his arson spree, he had married a local girl, Wanda Medeiros. And to say Wanda's parents were unhappy at this relationship and later at their marriage is an understatement. You see, there's some friction between the Portuguese community of which Wanda was from, and Melvin was from a Cape Verdean community, and they kind of clashed on a lot of cultural levels. So one family didn't really love another, and it was difficult, but it kind of played into this forbidden romance for these two. They were running around Falmouth, sneaking around. It was kind of exciting for both of them. But Wanda's brother, was going to be a police officer, and that was pretty well known, and shortly thereafter, he would become a Falmouth cop. So they knew all about Melvin Rainey, and he was involved in other crimes, not 
just this arson. He was kind of a, you know, lower level organized crime figure for a small town, I guess. I believe the concerns the Madero's family had about Melvin Rainey were accurate. He was at that time, 25 years old, barely literate with a seventh grade education and an IQ that tested at 50. He drove a trash truck for a living and was just known as a troublemaker. And then throw in these arsons, he is just the local a-hole, you know? And just to demonstrate how much Madero's family was against the wedding, the Madero's family refused to pay for or attend any wedding to Melvin Rainey. And to say that in the Portuguese community that they won't throw a wedding for their daughter is absolutely huge. So I think that gives testament to how they felt about Melvin Rainey and the rest of his family. But as soon as Wanda turned 18, she shed what remained of her parents' influence and jumped in Mr. Rainey's trash truck and drove to Dartmouth, Massachusetts and married Melvin in a civil ceremony. Wanda's parents were still very concerned about the marriage, but two years later, some grandchildren came along, and that seemed to heal the rift between Wanda and her mother. Wanda's mother went over to Wanda and Melvin's house most days, most mornings, to help out with the kids, you know, take them here, there, give mom and dad a break. But it was kind of like a big extended Portuguese family. They were always, you know, doing stuff together. So during the time that Melvin was in Walpole, Wanda had come to realized that the time she spent without him was the best time of her life. He was abusive, at least verbally abusive, and she described him as having this crazy, simmering temper, which was always present. And other people saw it as well. He appeared to be getting sick of Wanda, and after he got back from Walpole, everybody would find out why. So in 71, Melvin was released from Walpole, and... He was actually released ultimately from a prison farm, I believe in Bridgewater, but he returned to Cape Cod without warning and Wanda's heart dropped as he was dropped off outside. This signaled the end to her most peaceful period of marriage. She was enjoying the time alone with kids and the town had kind of started accepting her again because she was a nice woman. Melvin was the ass. The police would start to wave to her. She knew everybody in town. But they kind of shunned her because of Melvin, and he was so volatile. And when he was gone for almost two years, 18 months, they started accepting her again. But her world was going to crash with the return of Melvin. Melvin returned and decided, despite the fact that Wanda had all the help she needed with her two kids, I mean, her mother was there every day with him. They spoke on the phone first thing in the morning. She didn't need a nanny. But Melvin insisted, and he brought in a beautiful 16-year-old girl, and Wanda knew right away that there was more to this than just a nanny. So the nanny in question was 16-year-old Shirley Souza, and she lived across the street. She had been a neighbor for many years and was kind of a chubby kid, kind of awkward, but in the time since Melvin had been away, she had really blossomed. She was a beautiful girl. They say she had model-type looks. And at 16, she would, would have been coming into womanhood. Not there yet, 
I'd say not legal enough to even make those decisions, but Melvin had other ideas and Wanda was hip to it. Additionally, by this time, it was rumored around Falmouth that Melvin had fathered or impregnated at least one woman outside of his marriage, and now surely Sousa was moving in, and Wanda was angry, but there was nothing much she could do about it. He was totally dominant and abusive with her. So as I previously stated, Wanda and her mother spoke every day, first thing in the morning. So on March 13th, 1971, mom calls Wanda, and the son picks up. They call him Melly, and Melly says, you know, mom's not here. And the grandmother says, well, what's going on? He says, well, isn't she with you? Because she left last night in dad's blue truck. At least that's what Shirley told little Melvin. So that was the last time Wanda would be seen alive. She's never been seen again. And he was never even investigated. Melvin Rainey was never even investigated for this disappearance. This disappearance was extremely odd and... Wanda's mother was flabbergasted. Wanda had not spent one night away from those kids since they were born. She was a homebody, had nowhere to go. And I guess the story would come out later that Melvin stated that he dropped her off in Wareham at a bus station and never saw her again and never looked for her again, really. So ultimately, the Falmouth police did end up calling Melvin into the station because the grandmother wouldn't let it go. Wanda's mother just wouldn't let it go, and she knew something was wrong, and she knew deep down that she'd never see Wanda again. And Melvin told Captain Leonard Martin of the Falmouth police that he had dropped her off at the bus station. She wanted to go on vacation with a cousin and all this. Shirley Sousa, the new babysitter, had confirmed this, that stated that she had wanted to go see her cousin or something like this. It was just a crappy story, and none of it made sense. And if you read through it in Michelle McPhee's book, now, today, it would prompt an investigation. I don't know why it didn't back then. The Falmouth police were just afraid of this guy and the surrounding towns, and I don't know why. He was five foot eight, 160 pounds. I think if somebody ever put him in his place, he wouldn't bother anybody again. And I think he excelled at this type of bullying in a small town. Because in a city like Boston, Brockton, Lowell, anywhere, there'd be some pushback. He couldn't do this to people, but he intimidated even the police. And even the police who stood up to him were bullied within their own ranks to give this guy a break for some reason. It's just crazy. So four days after Wanda disappeared, Shirley Sousa moved into the house full time and there's a theme throughout Michelle's book that someone says over and over, Shirley Sousa, and later Shirley Rainey, was no angel. And you'll learn more about that as we go. So the Falmouth Police and the Massachusetts State Police did investigate Wanda's disappearance, and there was a fresh concrete pour on Rainey's property. I don't think it was ever fully vetted, but... The state police and Falmouth police went to the Trailways bus station, showed her picture around to employees and all that. They checked the bus station, you know, the bus route schedule, and there was no bus scheduled to leave at the time, Rainey said. It was all just nonsense, and he didn't even care that they knew 
He made his wife disappear. He simply didn't care. He had no fear of the police. So in terms of corruption in this case, I don't know if money changed hands or they were just so deathly afraid of him. Melvin, at one point during his arson spree, had set ablaze the police chief's car in the police chief's own personal driveway. And it was said that Melvin was sitting there laughing in his car as the police chief came out. Police chief did nothing. His name was Ferrara. He did nothing about the arson of his own property with the guy who committed the arson sitting just on the public street outside his property. So maybe the corruption was just if the police chief isn't going to do anything or the state police or the Cape and Islands district attorney isn't going to do anything, why should I do anything as a low-level patrolman or sergeant with this guy? It's just going to get me jammed up at work. And again, with this lunatic who lights things on fire all over town, maybe that's the corruption there. So during the investigation to locate Wanda, or now at least her body, the rainy compound had been searched and they dug up that patch of concrete I had mentioned previously. Didn't find anything, but Rainey loved to taunt the police. A short time later, he says to the captain on the Falmouth PD, the cops see Wanda every day, but they just drive right by and they don't know. This is the kind of guy he was, the mother of his kids. So during this investigation, Rainey was out with his brother, John, John Rainey, and Melvin Rainey says to the police chief, they ran into him by chance, police chief Ferrara, he says, hey, chief, do you want it to get hot again at your house? This time it'll be your house and not just your car. All the while, Melvin's wagging his finger at the police chief, and the police chief just walked away. And this is directly according to Melvin's brother, John. This isn't the last time that his brother John would provide some statements that implicated the Falmouth Fox. Wanda Rainey was never found, and Melvin Rainey was never charged in her likely homicide. Around this time, Melvin Rainey started a business called Five Star Enterprises. It was a trash hauling business in Falmouth and the surrounding areas, and it made him a very wealthy man. How did he get that contract? Well, I don't know. But this guy had just done time in Walpole. He had burned the chief's car in his driveway, and everybody knew it. So he had to go to town hall and apply for this contract, and he got it. Now, in Michelle's book, she alludes to the fact that he may have been involved in other criminal enterprises. I've searched for more of that online and in other media. I haven't come up with it, but it's alluded to quite a bit that he had other schemes going on. I don't know what they are. I can only suspect. But the trash hauling business made him a rich man. Okay, so that's one murder in Melvin Rainey's orbit. And well, I guess I should stop there. It's a disappearance, likely murdered. And I believe she was ultimately declared dead, Wanda. Poor Wanda. But there's more. Another local teen, Jeff Flanagan, was infatuated with Shirley. I keep calling her Rainey, but she wasn't a Rainey by that point. She was still Shirley Souza. But Jeff Flanagan was a teenage kid, good kid by all accounts, but he was infatuated with Shirley. And Shirley was now Melvin's. So that wasn't going to go well. And it didn't 
end well for Jeff Flanagan. Jeff was 16 and by all accounts a good-looking kid, and Shirley was also infatuated with him. They were similar in age. Melvin was older. So now it's October 1972, and Jeff Flanagan was 16, but he was due to turn 17 in the next few days or so, and he wanted to go out and celebrate with his friends. I guess they were going up to a movie theater at the plaza. I don't really know what that means or, or delineates, but when he got there, he was standing with his friends, and his friends reported that a dark Cadillac pulled up with a small, greasy-looking, weird man, described him as having weird eyes. And after Jeff disappeared, one of these people in the group identified Melvin Rainey from a photograph. They stated this guy pulled up in the Cadillac, yelled out the window, you know, Jeff, I need to talk to you, and curled his finger to him. Jeff knew him, apparently, and got in the car, and they drove off. Jeff Flanagan was found on October 8th, 1972, and he had suffered a shotgun wound to the face, and he was found in a cranberry bog just across the street from the rainy compound. He was shot in the face with a deer slug from point-blank range while he laid on the ground and the shooter stood above him. So the body was found across the street from the rainy compound. This kid had a relationship or a flirtation with Melvin Rainey's girlfriend or live-in babysitter at a minimum. And you think Melvin was arrested? I mean, he was identified by a photograph from the group. You think that'd be enough? So Melvin Rainey drove a dark-colored Cadillac. He resembled the photograph one of the gentlemen picked out that picked up Mr. Flanagan. The body was found directly across the street from the Rainey house. You'd think this would have spurred an intensive investigation. It came out later that young Mr. Flanagan had given his class ring to Shirley, and it was more than just a flirtation, really. They were relatively serious. They appeared to be in love. This kid, Flanagan, is 16, and Shirley, I think, has just turned 17. So it was natural, really. What the aberration here was... Melvin Rainey, he was 25 or 26 at the time. Melvin Rainey's brother, John, came forward in 2003 and stated that he had witnessed Shirley crying, washing out the dark Cadillac the day after the murder using soapy water. And it was odd because the Rainey boys were meticulous about their cars and they usually clean themselves or whatever. But... What the implication was that Melvin had forced Shirley to wash the car that he had used to kill Mr. Flanagan, right? Because she was in love with him, and that's why she was crying. So, again, it comes back to Shirley being no angel in this case. John Rainey would later reveal more information about other cases, about other dastardly deeds by Melvin Rainey. But... That one kind of stops me in my tracks. Surely knew. Dark-colored Cadillac. Kids picked up by somebody who looks like Melvin Rainey. Shotgun to the face across the street from Melvin's house. All right, guys, there's so many moving parts in this case. I'm going to have to break it up into two parts at least. So 
what we have so far is a string of arsons. I mean, seven, eight, nine arsons that he went to prison over. And Melvin Rainey's wife, Wanda, disappears without a trace. And there seems to be this half-hearted investigation for poor Wanda, never seen again. Now, Jeff Flanagan, who is infatuated or actually in love with Shirley Sousa, shotgun to the face after being called over by somebody who looked just like Melvin Rainey in a dark Cadillac, which is owned and operated by Melvin Rainey. So if you keep in score two homicides, a string of arsons, Melvin was convicted of the arsons and a suspect in the murders. All right, guys, the next episode will focus on the next murder in Melvin Rainey's orbit, a young gentleman that was going to testify against him in some arson cases, and his disappearance is absolutely stunning. All right, guys, I'll see you on the flip side. <laughs>